we were declared a sports city even in that, you know, and we hear that all the time, this narrative that Indianapolis is a sports city. And we are. I mean, the sports strategy is incredible. The architects of that have, have said this to me. We need to apply the same level of intention and investment that we did to the sports strategy to our creative economy. You're listening to Julie Goodman, CEO of the Indie Arts Council and one of our most influential civic leaders in Indianapolis. Julie is my guest on this episode of Michael Loves Indie. friends. Welcome back to Michael Loves Indie. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with one of my favorite colleagues, the CEO of the Indie Arts Council, Julie Goodman. So why is Julie one of my favorite colleagues? She is passionate about her work. She is entrepreneurial. She is totally committed to helping artists and arts organizations every day in her role as CEO of Indie Arts Council, a role that she has held since 2019. Julie had been on the job for about a year when the global pandemic hit And that did not stop Julie and her team from innovating, launching new programs, including the multi-million dollar Indie Keeps Creating Fund, which provided opportunities for hundreds of artists, co-creating programs like Swish, the program that we discussed with Alan and Molly on an earlier episode of Michael Loves Indie. Swish provided hundreds of opportunities for artists during the NCAA Division I men's basketball tournament held here in Indianapolis in 2021. In the conversation, Julie talks about her life, her early success as a musician growing up in the Indianapolis area, and uh, how her interest took her into marketing and PR. Then she made a career change to lead arts organizations, holding leadership positions in uh, Cincinnati organizations like Cincinnati Opera and Artworks, which oversees Cincinnati's public art program. Before returning to Indianapolis several years ago and soon becoming CEO of the Indie Arts Council, uh, I think you'll hear uh, her passion. Willie, we talk a lot about Indianapolis and what it would take for Indianapolis to get to the next level of a city that is nationally known for creating opportunities for artists and where creative people can really thrive. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Julie Goodman. Thank you for taking the time this afternoon. Thank you. Um, in beautiful Roundtable Recording Company in uh, Broad Ripple in Indianapolis. And I'll put uh, some more information about Roundtable Recording Company in the show notes. But yeah, um, Julie Goodman, CEO of the Arts Council of Indianapolis, is someone that I've known for a few years and have had conversations with, you know, here and there. But this was a rare opportunity, you know, to not just to hear more about what drove you to take on this opportunity, but also, I mean, for you, I mean, for me and people in our positions, um, just you've gone through a lot of changes and the organization's gone through a lot of changes in the past couple of years. And I also want to make sure that, um, that there's a, 
there's a focus on or that I that I'm asking questions about how our community can better support artists because you know coming in, in 2022 and beyond. So um, thank you for being here, Julie. Well, thank you. Thanks for. I'm excited about the conversation, and I also just want to say thank you for being such a great colleague and friend and mentor. No, I hope so. I I, I don't last three three years you, coming I mean, in. <laughs> it's go, it goes both ways. I mean, um, you know, I've learned so much about um, the importance of the arts in Indianapolis through your work and through your colleagues and the leadership that you showed, uh, particularly the last two years. I, I think I do want to start at the beginning because I feel like I know a good amount about your life before Arts Council, but I'm sure there are gaps. So sure, um, you know. Um, just can you can you talk a little bit about growing up and and all I think in particular are there are there things about your upbringing that would have predicted that you'd be in a position like this? Hmm. Well, I think the thing to start with is just in Indy's my hometown. This is this is where I grew up. My parents are from Indiana, um, both educators. I come from a family of educators. So my dad was from Lafayette. My mom was from Evansville. They met at Indiana State. Ended up here teaching in IPS, and so I uh, I grew up um, on Ryan Drive. I was I was walking distance to School Fifty Nine, which is now Seidner Elementary, and um, so my childhood uh, is is based there. And then early, uh, as I was getting ready to go into first grade, my dad um, was offered a job to be a principal in the Carmel School District. So we ended up going from, um, from Indy into Carmel, and he opened every elementary school in the Carmel district wow. from the 70s through the 90s, um, so that during that major growth phase in that community. And so, um, you know, we, I had an amazing experience there in terms of all of the arts education opportunities, and I took advantage of every single one of them. You've already you've already answered another question <laughs> that I just the lightning bolt hit because I'm imagining I'm imagining you're seeing your father get all this input from the community and like and handling probably people who are upset yeah. about certain things. Yeah. And you're, you're I mean, community up. engagement, uh, you know, uh, navigating this kind of the city priorities and economic development priorities yeah. and educational priorities and, um, and, and building community through the schools involved and the parent involvement, all of it. Yeah. And, and he was my principal. So I got to see all the dimensions of that as, as a very young kid, but, you know, so really I think my, the predictors started, I guess, even before my school experience, I come from a family of educators, but I also come from a family of, of musicians. Yeah. Everyone in my family played an instrument. Everyone in my family valued music. It was a part of our family experience. Uh, it was part of our family traditions. We always were engaged um, you know, kind of with whatever was happening in our living room, whether it was like listening to my grandfather sing and my grandmother at the piano. And, you know, um, that's how we would spend our family time together. And uh, both of my parents just reinforced that and valued that and valued engagement in that. So I played piano. It was not uh, not an option. I took piano lessons from as early as I can remember all the way through college. Um and then eventually learned to play violin. I taught myself how to play guitar. I'm terrible, but I love it. Um, and and then I, I started to sing wow. um, in in junior high is kind of when I when I started to explore that. So choral experiences, and then that evolved into um, 
theater, being involved in theater programs. So it was pretty, uh, pretty well-rounded experience in terms of, um, you know, choir and orchestra. And then I quit orchestra to be in the marching band because that seemed like fun. Yep. <laughs> so I did that and I ended up being the um, the captain of the flag corps of the, oh, cool. of the guard. And so I think, again, we, we hear this all the time, but the discipline that came from that, the being a part of a team, being um, having leadership opportunities at a, a very young age and having amazing, amazing teachers and yeah. coaches and people who just poured into us as kids. Um, so that, that was my experience there. I ended up deciding uh, to major in music. So I started as a double major in voice and piano I auditioned at, at all the um, regional conservatories, and I ended up deciding to go to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, because I wasn't sure I was ready to go all in. on a, Like, I wasn't yep. sure I wanted to spend my whole college career in a practice room. I wasn't sure about performance as a, as a career option for me. I loved being a part of it. I loved um, being around it, but I just... I wasn't sure that I had the wiring for that. So I wanted liberal arts with, with music and that combination. It seemed to be a good fit in, at Miami and Oxford. I changed my major a couple years in um, and flipped it to be, uh, I had a friend say, have you ever heard about public relations? And I'm like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And um, But I learned through journalism and marketing classes and eventually just my wiring for advocacy for, I think, again, being, going back to my roots and my education, you know, influence from my parents, um, being part of community in that way. I think that I eventually changed my major to uh, marketing, journalism, communications. They have kind of a combo degree there and then kept music as a minor. Yeah. So it was like, so unlike some of us who and I, the, I, I used to feel this way, but it's like, unlike some of us who might feel like, well, we, we gave up this, it really, it sounds like, it sounds like it, it, it sparked something else. It wasn't so much, it wasn't so much you were giving up the dream of music. Right. It was that you were so, or at least just to hear you say it, it was that you were, um, really inspired by sort of public relations and the skill set of like telling a story. Is that? I think so. Yeah. I, I think I, I always enjoyed being Part of productions, and I enjoyed that experience. But I never, I never felt like I had to be the lead or the like, I, like being in that in the spotlight part. I, I think I've just always somehow been more of a like a little bit behind the curtain person, yep. you know. And so, um, but I, but I really love to be a part of it. And so that I think has informed everything. Yeah, you know, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and then, so I'm, I'm imagining like coming out of, with a, with a PR degree, probably a lot of opportunity at agencies and, mm -hmm. and, uh, maybe communications departments for companies and things like that. Did you go that route or did you pursue a different? I did. I thought for sure I'd end up in like New York or Chicago, um, for a time. And I did intern in New York at a huge agency, Burson Marsteller there and got, got to see what that was like firsthand. But I. It goes back to arts and my theater connections. I had a friend 
who I did community theater with while I was in, at school. And he said, intern with me for the summer. He was the president of a small PR firm in Cincinnati. That stay for the summer, do this show with us. We're doing a production of Big River. Do this production, intern with me, and then you can go off and do your thing. So I, I'd said that sounds like I'm going to stretch us out a little longer and be with my friends and, and do one more show. And so I stayed and I got to know Cincinnati and I got to know more people in the community and in the cultural community. And while I had been close to Cincinnati, it's, it's not, it's, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes from Oxford. I just saw it through different eyes yeah. it, through that experience. And so that internship led to a job offer with another small PR firm, uh, but they were doing all of the communications work for Tall Stacks oh, Festival. Wow. So the city's bicentennial, they did the wow. Tall Stacks Festival. I got to be there on the ground level, the very first one doing all of the media relations and community relations for that festival. So, is, so pretty a no, big introduction. A note, <laughs> a note about Cincinnati. I've never, I've never shared this with you. So I, I grew up very small town, St. Louis media market. Helen, uh, my wife is from the Bay Area. We love Cincinnati. I mean, because so, I, my thing is, you can't, in my opinion, you can't apply like an indie expectation to it or Chicago expectation to it if you go in thinking it's something else. But like the um, the topography and the historic neighborhoods in Cincinnati for me, are unlike anything else in the Midwest. I don't know if that... Yeah, I mean, it was it was beautiful. The river, um, the topography, the uh, the character of the neighborhoods, um, and and the cultural institutions. I mean, the cultural community. It's an it's an older city, and older cultural institutions. And just I was blown away. I did. I just I hadn't realized um, kind of the breadth of, of the community there. So I, I, I ended up staying there for most of my professional career until I moved back to Indy five years ago. And I think also it was, it was far enough to have, you know, some space to stretch out and, um, and kind of learn a new city and be in a new space as an adult, but close enough that I could visit my family all the time. Yeah. You know, are there, are there things that happened in that, um, Cincinnati, in, in your years in, in Cincinnati that you can point back and say, oh yeah, that, that maybe could have predicted uh, oh, yeah. be leading the Arts Council of Indianapolis today. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the highlights real because I've been doing this a long time now. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, the, really the first 10 years were in agency consulting work. So the, the, my introduction was Tall Stacks uh, and, and ma- massive arts and culture music festival um, on the riverfront. I then worked for an agency that was um, really strong, reg- the, one, the regional, large regional firm based there. And I ended up working with their downtown organization. They were my main client, the city and the downtown organization. And I did all of the community engagement and communications work around their Vision 2020 plan. So that ended up being the plan, the redevelopment of the riverfront Fountain Square and over the Rhine. Wow. And so having, again, and this is like my, that's formative years, professional years, wow. right? And and just seeing firsthand that the intersection of um, city government working with the economic development um, team at, at downtown Cincinnati Incorporated, all of the community partners that were involved, and then and the cultural partners that were involved in that, it it, it really um, 
it set my wiring yeah. <laughs> for the rest of my career. I, I did that for about 10 years, and then I ended up um, having a really good friend from college that I sang with in school was the marketing director at Cincinnati Opera. And he called and said, we have our, our PR director positions open. And I, I was on this track to probably become an owner or partner in the agency. But I'm like, if I don't explore this, I, I will always wonder. And so I went and I spent a, about eight, nine years at Cincinnati wow. Opera leading that organization. Hundred year. They just had their hundred year opera company, second oldest company next to the Metropolitan Opera in New York. Um, and it was a t- it was a time of new artistic leadership, but also they were trying to reposition their reputation. They had had an international and national reputation, and they kind of lost that for a period of time. So it was a rebuilding phase of kind of going back to their origin story. But they did that not just by doing the. I mean, it's music hall, huge, giant venue, thirty four hundred seats. Yeah, right on Washington Square. Yeah, in Cincinnati. yeah right I, in I the park. Pic- I can picture yeah, it. Gothic okay. Yeah, Gothic architecture and yeah. um. But they were committed, the company was committed to um, commissioning new work and specifically new work around themes of social justice. Wow. And um, so I had the opportunity to work on a, on a couple of those projects, including the um, the creation of de- an opera about Dead Man Walking based on the story of Dead Man Walking. I got to work with Sister Helen Prejean as a part of that. Uh, but but the life-changing uh, experience was a, a piece that they commissioned based on the Toni Morrison's um, Beloved. And it's the story of Margaret Garner. It was, it's a local story. Um, and we commissioned that in honor of the opening of the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati. So for five years, I worked on community engagement. I worked with the artistic team. I was the liaison to the Toni Morrison Society. For the company, I mean, the experiences I had, the, the people that I got to meet, the, the history that I got to really understand changed my life. Wow. I also got to meet Ernest Disney Britton, who was the head of external relations. Vice president, yeah. current vice president for Arts Council. <laughs> no way. So okay. Ernest and I worked together on that project. Um, no way. And so, so yeah. You're, so you're, I'm, I'm skipping ahead now. Yeah, without, yeah. So now it's like you're you're advocating for and funding and everything like that or so you can identify with the with the leader of an arts organization that's really uh transforming and 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 um uh you know reaching out into newer works because that was that was you absolutely and i i was a, a partner and liaison to the united arts fund in cincinnati so i worked it's called arts wave now it was the fine arts fund it's now arts wave and I was uh, part of their advocacy team going out into the community, telling the story of the impact of arts in the community and inviting the community to participate. And Cincinnati raises $14 million a year for arts and culture as a United Arts Fund. Then, so it's almost so, like a United Way for Arts? It is, is a it, United Way for United Arts. Way That's for exactly arts. the it's model. Okay. Yeah, wow. it's through corporate engagement. It's through individual engagement. People do payroll deductions to support the campaign. But it's... it's uh, it's it's a community engagement model to support the arts. Um, so Cincinnati does it. They exist all over the country. Um, Louisville does that that way. About 
14 million a year in Louisville, Columbus, Ohio, does it through a entertainment tax. They have a little different model. They're also bringing in 14 million a year. So we're we're looking at all of all of that yeah. really carefully. Interesting. I know I'm glossing over that you know this could be like chapters of a book, but <laughs> and as I recall, there was a there's a there's a move be an executive in a, in another, you were already in Indianapolis. Is that right? When the arts I, council. I was, you... yeah. So I just to fast forward, I, I did some time in corporate communications after I, I left Cincinnati opera. I ended back up in the arts for a small nonprofit that does all the public art in, in Cincinnati as a youth employment program. And then I had a friend, it all goes back to those agency years, a friend who was a, a client, um, and, called about an opportunity uh, that we thought was going to be based in Cincinnati, but I ended up coming over here. It was Wistrata Education Network, yeah. which is a, a large um, uh, private philanthropy kind of social impact organization focused on the um, education to employment path. And they needed help setting up. Uh, they, they were pretty new a couple years in, and they needed help setting up a, an internal agency, like shared services for their national wow. affiliates. And they also needed help launching a research partnership they had with Gallup in Washington, D.C. So long story short, we ended up as a family. I mean, I, I thought, I, there's no way my family's yeah. going to want to move. Like, we're very, we have very deep roots. We have family in Cincinnati. We, um... But we we talked about it as a family. My my kids, we we always enjoyed Indianapolis. My mm-hmm. kids had a lot of fondness for the city. But we just had a family meeting, and everyone in our family got a vote. And my son, who was going into his sophomore year of high school, got two votes because it was a big deal. Yep. And everybody wanted to do it. Wow. Like, let's have this adventure. So wow. my sister was here. My, my nieces uh, were here. So... Um, we ended up five years ago coming back to Indy. And so I came for, for Strata Education Network and I was in that, that role for two years, but I was, it's a, it was a national role. So I was in DC or in other local, I was traveling quite a bit. So I was here, but I, I didn't feel like I was here. Like I hadn't just fully reconnected with Indy. It was kind of in glimpses and, um, you know, sprints where we were starting to get to explore and get to know the city again. Yeah. Well, so that brings us to Arts Council of yeah. Indianapolis. So um, I I served on the board, um, still consider myself a huge champion for several years. It was an organization that had already been through changes and they, um, they contact you asking you if you would um, consider becoming their CEO. And do you remember at the time, like what, um, what, what sparked your interest or yeah. what st- what stuck out from those from considering that opportunity yeah i um i really the this one of the stories of my career is i i'm a really good number 2 like i just ended up in yep. that position over and over again being an advisor to the ceo being on the leadership team i'm a really good number 2 and i had a actually a really good friend reach out um who knew me well from my time in Cincinnati. And she was with the art museum up in Cleveland at that point. She knew the search firm. So she saw the posting and she reached out and she said, have you seen this? I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm heads down. Like I'm not looking for a job. I'm busy building this thing and, and working with Strata and enjoying the work. And um, she said, you have to, you have to talk to them. She goes, I'm reaching out. I know the search firm. I'm sending them your, your stuff. It has your name written all over it. 
And so I looked, I was curious and I looked and I was really intrigued that I, I didn't do anything for three weeks. I thought about it. I kept reflecting. I kept thinking about it. And I finally thought, you know, if I don't explore this, I will, I'll always wonder. And I thought a lot about like, do I have an ambition to be a CEO? Do I have, like, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't on my career path, like list. I, I was really, I was really good at the role that I had played. And, um, but I also, I had so many amazing leaders in my career and I learned so much from them that I just thought, well, if this is my opportunity to apply that and to put myself in a position to be able to change other people's lives, the way that those leaders changed my life and changed other lives through, through their work. Um, if I have, if I'm, if I'm trusted with that opportunity, I want to try. Wow. I want to, I want to say, I want to say something, make an observation about what I see is maybe some of the parameters. So maybe you don't have to, but I'm, I'm going to say something controversial, but it's like, it's a tough CEO of the arts council in my estimation is one of the toughest jobs in the city. And I, I want to make a statement and you may say, no, that's wrong. But because there's such diversity among the constituents, you've got these fine arts institutions, similar to like what you described in Cincinnati organizations have been around decades, if not over a hundred years. Um, a growing number of community arts organizations that are doing ambitious things, trying to grow a, you have wonderful support on one, one side with thank God for the Lilly endowment, Eli Lilly and company and these like anchor funders. But, and these are my words it with, you don't have a long like culture in Indianapolis of like business supporting the kind of support for the arts that we see in some of our competitor cities. Right. And I want, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm saying that if it makes it easier, it makes it easier. So what, when, when you came forward and I, th- I think you, you were, you were definitely, when I heard about you, you were definitely the top choice and you may have been right before you accepted the job. It was like, and I think a lot of people's reactions was, wow, amazing background. You know, does she know what she's in for? Is that, <laughs> is that fair? Cause it's just tough. I mean, so, but go ahead. You know, I think you, you, I mean, it's like any, any new role, you have an idea of what you think it's going to be. And then you get in and you, and you start to dig in and, and you really understand. I, everything you said that could feel like a challenge, I see as an opportunity. And I think the, the fact that I have not necessarily been on, a, on an arts administration career path and that I didn't necessarily think I... Like, I want to be the CEO of an arts council and the fact that I don't necessarily aspire to be the CEO of a different arts entity, right? Like, I'm here to to do as much good as I can for Indianapolis and for the creative community here, as long as that makes sense, Yep. right? So that... And, and, and I, I have, because I've, I've, I've had so many great experiences in my career, 
I have a very supportive family. I have a very supportive husband. I have some security to be able to do the work in a way that makes me um, less fearful of, you know, and, and I think um, because my, my background is in communications and in marketing and in community engagement, not a traditional arts admin track. I need and value that expertise that's on my team. But I'm here to understand those relationships and to listen and to and and that's what I've been doing really for the for the last three years. Two of them in a pandemic. But um but moving, I mean this is my and moving very fast. I mean to your credit and your team's credit. One question I have is if if someone if someone came up to you and they had no background for what the arts council does, I'm interested in terms of and you were if you were trying to express what the artist goes through or the small art artistic organization goes through on a day to day basis, what are what are those things? I mean, because I and I, I say that asking for myself because I think I kind of know, but yeah. well, in ter- in terms of. Our, our role as the Arts Council, and I hope you take this as a compliment because that's how it is intended, but I often describe us as like that we're the Chamber of Commerce for the, the local creative economy, right? For the and, and I love that, yeah. You know, I mean, we exist, and our mission statement says, we exist to nurture a culture where artists and arts organizations can thrive. So when you think about what it takes to be uh, an arts and cultural organization and we work with 70 now. It wasn't always that way, but we support 70. The vast majority of the organizations, we all know the bigs, the big organizations, and we know them and love them and need them. Yep. They are essential. Um, but the vast majority are small and mid-sized organizations with one or two or three team members. So your executive director is your advancement officer, is yep. your grant writer, is your marketing director, is your production person, is, you know, like, so the number of hats yep. that these these leaders have to wear is just always being in a a place of empathy and understanding that, yep. I think, um, is important. On the artist side in Indianapolis, it can it's a, it's often a similar story. So I think a lot of artists in Indianapolis, it's getting better, but a lot yep. of artists have had to have other work yep. to be able to support and and to be a working artist in in Indy. I do think that's changing. I think we are seeing our there is there's more opportunity and more sophistication happening in our yep. community where I think we're getting to a place where um, professional artists, artists who want to do this as their full-time work can do that. Um, but we have got to do some things as a community to make sure that that continues and is not, we're not just riding this this outburst of support coming out of the pandemic, yep. which has been awesome and necessary, but how we sustain that is going to be critical. There's a, there's an ethos question here that I want to ask. I just thought of this. This is at least two or three years before you joined the organization. And I was having a conversation with a person who's no longer on the board. Um, she's long retired. Um, not a very great, generous person. But she was 
kept talking about the arts council needs to support artists because the arts are such an important source of entertainment and entertainment and they entertain and entertain. And I thought to myself, man, you know, if we have more people who think like this person, we could be in some trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, because, and I think this person has been very generous to the community, but I'm all, but I, but I'm also thinking now I couldn't articulate this as recently as seven or eight years ago, but it's like, look at these, um, look at the cities with whom Indianapolis competes all the time. Some of whom they're aspirational competitors because their growth is faster. Austin, Texas is one Nashville, Tennessee is another. And Nashville used to be kind of neck and neck with Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Both cities grew. Nashville just grew faster. Um, I could, I could, you could name off a lot more. Uh, these are cities where it's, it's, it's not by accident that they're known as a place where you can do very well as an artist or as a creative professional. And I know a ton's been written that the, the more, um, the more artists and creative, uh, uh, professionals that you can grow within your city or attract to your city, it, it, it impacts other sectors is, too. Yeah. And so I think, and, and I, that's a long, that's a long kind of departure, but it's like, it's like, I feel like trying to get past arts as a fun amenity or entertainment. Oh like my this gosh. Is a, I mean, that's like the sector. last thing yeah. I think of. <laughs> at some, at some would say it's, and I think this is maybe vestiges of a past generation, but it's yeah. like this, this sector, if you look city by city is as important as tech and as important as life sciences and things like that. And I feel like there, we, myself included, we have a way to go. It, it is. And I, you know, I, just last week where I was at, um, the state of tourism with our friends at, at Visit Indy and amazing results, you know, and I, but I, and, and, and arts and culture is valued as a part of that. And I think we, you know, we can talk about all the ways that arts and culture and artists have been engaged in, in the city's recovery, which has been significant. And, um, but I, I also, you know, we, we were declared a sports city in that, you know, and we hear that all the time, this narrative that Indianapolis is a sports city. And we are, I mean, the sports strategy is incredible and what it has accomplished for Indianapolis is incredible. But to me, I just think it's so, we're just, it's so one dimensional to, to, you know, and I think there's just an opportunity for us to, to look at and the sports strategy, the, the people that, the architects of that have, have said this to me, like we need to apply the same level of intention and investment that we did to the sports strategy, to our creative economy. That's the next frontier. That's yeah. where the growth is for Indianapolis. The sports is, will, sh should stay, of course. I mean, yeah. nobody's debating the value of that to, to our city. Um, but I think we have an opportunity to to think about create our creative economy and about arts and culture as a growth strategy, as a driver, as a and not just in addition to and in support of the the big events that we do. I think the city is fantastic about including artists. Yeah. I have said to to friends and colleagues, I'm like, we've been an amazing supporting actor. Yeah. In the city. And it's just, it's time we have the talent and the, I mean, and a range of talent and assets in our community for it to play a leading role. Yeah. In history. Yeah. So one thing, 
I, I'm I'm jumping ahead because I wanna I wanna ask you in a minute about Indie Keeps Creating, yeah. which is one of the most inspiring things of the past five years. But one thing, okay, on this sports question, one thing that you've done, Julie, which is kind of brilliant, is that there are a lot of people who want to say, well, it's got to be sports or this. And so I'm going to get in this argument. And, and, and throughout Indianapolis, at every cocktail party, there are people arguing, well, it should be sports or no, it should be this. And on multiple occasions, you've gone to the sports people and said, instead of getting in an argument with them, you're like, let us broaden, this, let us broaden the audience of your event by bringing um, you know, visual arts or music. It's an to and. It. Yeah. It's an and. It's such a false choice. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's, and that's not unique to Indianapolis. It was the same debate in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, it's an and. I mean, sports is part of our culture. Yeah. Our creativity is part of our culture. Our, our you know, I think it's, we, we just, that, I, and we should probably do more research over this. And it's been done in terms of the crossover of arts and sports um, fans. But we know that from a workforce development and from quality of life, what ha- what matters are, yes, people like to live in cities with those with those big events. But I think our opportunity in Indianapolis is to take the things that we do so well on an event basis and apply them to our everyday. Yeah. And the reality is our arts and culture and artists are here every day. Yeah. And so if we can lean into that and take all the strengths that we have as a host city and apply that to more of our everyday experience, and there's good conversation happening around this. I think there's good energy and momentum happening around this. Then when we welcome visitors in, when we host these big events, they're coming into experiences that are organic, that are authentic, that are that are vibrant, and that are filled with residents and visitors. So I, I think that's that I see that momentum happening. And I think that's that's the opportunity for indie. Can you and can you say so something one of the manifestations of this would be the swish festival. Mm-hmm. And and you're always very generous to share credit because that's who you are. And, you know, and we talked with Alan and Molly and they, you know, gave a ton of kudos to the Arts Council, but it's like, okay, so it's like Indianapolis is hosting the entire men's division one <laughs> basketball tournament with only two months notice. Right. And somehow you pull off, I don't like 200 concerts, a hundred and something commission works of public art in a matter of weeks. And I know that could be the, encha- the chapter of an entire book, but this whole thing, I mean, the getting the kind of sports community to mm-hmm. agree to it and then raising significant amounts of money, which you did right. would have been so hard 10 or 20 years ago. So what are, to anybody's listening who's not familiar, what, what were the keys to making that happen? Cause that my, my well, memory of that tournament, what swish and that tournament will always be like a, yeah. Like, I mean, I think the partnership wasn't hard at all. I mean, those, those relationships existed with the sports corp with de- like the civic relationships, um, the conversations and connections were there. I think, uh, and we were, we were already in conversations and had been for a year about how to engage the arts when it was just the, the final, you know, the original tournament, um, planned. So we were at the table, but, uh, it changed and, and literally between a Friday and Sunday, uh, we, we, started to have conversations with the sports corp at the end of the week. By Friday, we knew there was an opportunity to advocate for some more funding 
to really lean into the the vibrancy and beautification and activation of public spaces. And so between Friday and Sunday, we put a proposal together um, that became the kind of the the infrastructure and the the game plan for for Swish. Um, and given the timing, our, our objective was not only to obviously make it a, an amazing experience for everyone who came in for the tournament, but to use it as recovery, right? To use it as an opportunity to help as many artists and creatives and curators get paid to do what they do. We've been doing artist surveys since the beginning of the pandemic and and what we... I mean, at first it was about relief, right? And then it was about recovery. And we knew at this point what they wanted more than anything was just to be get back to work. Yep. And so that's what we did. And so I think, you know, historically, we've maybe were more in the doing of some of this than, um, but but this was a moment for us to really use our convening power and to facilitate as much engagement as possible. Right. So that meant bringing in as much talent as we could. So we reached out to Molly and Allen. We knew about the the really cool work that they had been doing at, at East 10th, yep. um, some of the curatorial work that they had been involved in. I'm like, they're going to produce a series that's way more cool and interesting than what, what you know, we're going to come up with in our, like, just let's be honest, you know? So I think it was just appreciating the strengths of our creative community and bringing that together and kind of, and, and then just empowering everybody with support. Yep. So even Molly and Allen, um, and it was also a really good pilot and test for a lot of the recommendations in the music strategy. It is. Yeah. We just we'll had this that. opportunity, yeah. right? Yeah. So it, it wasn't just Molly and Allen though, cause they were new, they were startups. So we said, Hey, what if, and, and we wanted this to be representative of, of the full, breadth of our performing arts community for these performances. So we brought in a team of nine curators that they managed and it, and that's how we got it done because it was more than any one entity could handle. So it was the arts council plus gang gang, plus the cultural trail, plus these nine curators and their networks, um, plus huge uh, partnership with, with downtown Indy. I mean, it, it was so, so many collaborators but at the in the end, we were able to pay 600 artists. Wow. We did 230 performances in public space, free performances in public space. So you want to talk about testing a busking strategy or what Love it. performance in public space can do for community. Um, and over uh, 100 visual art installations. Wow. So it was it was such an honor to be a part of it. And um, again, I think it was just an incredible demonstration project, yeah. you know? And this was within, I want to make sure I'm asking you about, I know you, you know, you couldn't have predicted that we would have a global pandemic yeah. a year. Uh, it was how, exactly a year after I started. Yeah. And then here's my, here's my recollection. Cause you know, at the chamber, we're all, we're head down and what do we do? And then our, obviously where we came out of it was, well, where do our, capabilities match up with the greatest vulnerabilities. And we, we just shifted 90% of the organization mm-hmm. just to small business services and small business lending. And we were just like, you know, but then, and then not long, I mean, I don't know, just within the first month or two, here are literally millions of dollars and the indie keeps creating fund. And 
again, you're talking about inspiring hope and helping these artists get back to work. What, what was the genesis of that? What do you remember about sure. that? Sure. Um, I think, you know, so we all remember that, that week leading up to the, the first shutdown and like, he, he, we, we started to hear the reports and then the volume started to go up. And then I think by the end of that week, we, we realized, uh, what was happening and we, we pulled together a call with, with six art arts funders. These are, uh, arts funders that we collaborate with on a, on a regular basis, um, but it was more periodic before, of course, but we just, and they, and some of them were reaching out saying, okay, what, what can we do to help? So we, we pulled together this conversation and that was like a Thursday and between Friday and Monday, we did a survey and we went out to, and this was the week of the shutdown. So we went out to all of the organizations that we interact with um, the 70 that are part of the city city's annual grants program and some other regional, um, organizations. And then, and we did an artist survey and an organization survey. And that gave us a very clear understanding of what we were dealing with. Um, it was 30,000 closures and cancellations. I mean, this is the first survey. This is early March forecasting into June. 30,000 closures and cancellations. Uh, we were, um, I, I mean, the the amount of impact to organizations was severe, but for, for artists, like the the floor just dropped out. You know, they they, they lost a hundred percent of their of their income. So um, that was Monday. I think by Thursday of that week, Wednesday or Thursday of that week, we had over half a million dollars of commitments for a first round artist relief fund. And between March and June, we were able to support about 950 relief grants for wow. artists. At the same time, we were starting to build uh, advocacy and, and figure out what the needs were going to be for organizations. That was a little more complex. But by July, we uh, had announced the $10 million fund for with in partnership with Lilly Endowment, the Restart and Resilience Fund. So that was aimed at helping with all of the unanticipated expenses, uh, which was over $100 million of identified unanticipated expenses that canceled, wasn't covered. Canceled performances and things of that nature. All of, all of the, the, there was the realm of losses that was hard for philanthropy to understand how to address because we had no idea what the time frame was going to be. So at that point, the f we knew there would be some federal support. We didn't know what that would look like or or how how long that would extend. Um, but we knew when it was safe to reopen, there were all of these expenses that were going to be incurred that were not budgeted, that were not considered, that may or may not be eligible. <laughs> As part, so that's really what the focus was, was how do we get the engine that's been completely shut down and paused? How do we get that back up and, and running? Interesting. And then um, from, again, my, my, you know, unscientific observation of the community, it seems like there's a whole range of what, you know, arts organizations where it, they feel like some were able to get PPP and then kind of figure it out and maybe renegotiate with their you know, they're artists and then some, some are still, some still need a lot of help and haven't recovered. Is that right? It's, um, I think we're, we're in a, 
it's pretty incredible uh, where we are today. Now, you know, two, two years, two years in, um, I would say the just the resilience that we've seen in the community, individual artists and organizations, has been incredible. The the level of strategy and and care that has gone in, and that's that's the staff and the leadership and boards. I mean, the boards have been working overtime for sure too to support everyone. But I mean, we by the end of last year uh, in December, we were at a hundred percent reopen. Wow! Everyone in the sector, we we only lost two organizations, and they weren't because of COVID. One kind of used COVID as an opportunity to to close, but that writing had been on the wall that there was just it, um, their their board alignment wasn't yep. uh, where it needed to be for them to move forward. And then the other was uh, an, a strategic acquisition that would also was in consideration before. So yeah. we didn't lose a single organization, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and you, you personally are known for going to a ton of performances. I mean, is that, <laughs> is that, is that, I, and like, like, so, you know, you'll, you'll, you're, you and the arts council, you'll fund the work, but you're out all the time. I mean, yeah, is that, it's so funny. Yeah. So I guess maybe going back to just why I'm here. Right. And, and, um, I say often, like, I'm so honored. As hard as this has been, I'm so grateful to be in this work in this moment. Um, but I was at a, a show for Asante Art Institute this summer. It was out at Connor Prairie. It was a Sunday afternoon. And a friend and colleague who works at the cabaret was there also. And I ran into him in the parking lot. And, and he stopped me and he said, God, he goes, you're just like, you're always out. You're always working. I said, aren't you just, how do you do it? Like, you're always working, you're always, and I said, you know, and I said this without even thinking about it. I said, this, this isn't work. This is Love why that. we do the work. Yeah. Like for me, yeah. it's not work to go and take in these experiences. It's fuel. It's why we do the work. Yeah. And, and so I, um, you know, I have to manage my energy like everybody does. And I have to, and, and I involve my family as often as I can. So we do things together and, and I bring my kids to stuff as often as I can. So we all have to make, you know, choices like that. But I, um, I, I mean, I could be out every night of the week doing something cool and inspiring and I could learn and grow in Indianapolis. And I think that's, as a city that like, that's my mission <laughs> really that. is to help our community understand the breadth and depth of what we have here. I love it. Well, uh, I want to, I do want to um, talk for a minute about music strategy. Yeah. That's, that's actually, that is directly the reason why we're here right now, because so for the, for the, um, anyone listening is who may not be familiar. So it was right before you joined the arts council the planning for a music strategy type project happened and the arts council was in a different spot. We have very, you know, cordial discussions, but what was different for me about music strategy is it was really spurred by small businesses mm -hmm. in the industry, um, venues specifically, a couple record labels. I don't think we had a music studio yet who was engaged in the work, but there was a sense of, Hey, We've got these great arts um, institutions in Indianapolis, and certainly we do, but 
is there a way that the that um, businesses, especially small businesses, could rally? And and then this is why the chamber organization got involved. Could we map the sector as if it's a sector like we would map tech or map you know advanced manufacturing yep. or something like that? Which I know sounds to some people might sound kind of um, uh, not that exciting, but it's really cool because we we discovered right. we discovered so much. Like I, I've been living here for twenty years. Um, playing in bands and going to a lot of concerts, and I'm discovering assets that I didn't know about. I mean, one one of them right here, where we are at Roundtable Recording Company. Um, you you became CEO, and we're incredibly grateful because uh, you and the organization have really given the music strategy a lot of new energy and a lot of creative kind of programmatic stuff that, admittedly, you know, um, we my organization doesn't have. Um, what what gets you excited about the potential there? Oh my gosh. Well, I think, you know, I, because I haven't come from a, maybe a traditional arts administration um, background, I, I ask a lot of questions. And I think in the, in the arts world, uh, there can be a lot of silos between like the nonprofit side and the, and the for-profit and commercial side. And I think um, those lines are becoming more blurry, and they should. It all comes down to funding sources and tax status and all of those things. But I think how we all contribute to the sector, we are a sector. So when I looked at the music strategy, and I, I try to look at it every couple of weeks because it's so good, um, but we don't, we haven't combined our story in our data yet. So right. I, I know like this on the nonprofit side, we know that that part of our economy generates $440 million annually in economic impact. About 15,000 jobs are represented there. So then the music strategy tells us that that economic impact was like a, a billion, right? $1.19 billion and, and another 9,000 jobs. So if we aren't talking about this yep. and valuing this as, as a sector of our economy today already— but understanding how what it can mean to our growth and how that growth impacts all of our other sectors, we're just we're missing a huge opportunity. I don't, know, I don't know how I missed it, but it's like it's like if you had told me, for instance, um, how large the contemporary gospel recording cluster is here, right? Um, the publishing houses, you know, including right. Hal Leonard and the amount of work they do here and the jobs that they create. I mean, and then never mind. I mean, and and you and the Arts Council are very active in this kind of work, but um, reclaiming the history of Indiana Avenue because there's no question that Indianapolis, <laughs> yeah. as recently as the '50s, was a top five, possibly top three yep. jazz city. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, it's but it's like I can, it's like I can see it, you know, um, if we if we could if we could just bring it together, you know. And I and I think we can. So I was going back. Just yeah. Look at the my my last read of of the music strategy, which is love it. Um, and I was looking at the the top strengths, and so the the top strengths that were identified in that is the the quality of talent that we have here and our heritage, right? So you just said it. It's our our history and the talent, and you can't you can't recruit those things. You can't you like that is just a part of who we are. It's here right. already. Um, the performing opportunities for established artists that exist and affordable housing, like just the quality of life yes. stuff, right, that, yep. that we have here. And then the other um, 
advantage was just safety perceptions about our venues, about the experience of being here. It's sure. all, all positive, right? And then, then the challenges, and this was mentioned a couple times in a couple places, is our reputation as a music hub, the fact that we are no longer known as a, as a, as a music hub. Um, collaboration with the regional tourism authorities, which I thought was, was interesting, um, available funding support. Talk, have a whole other yeah. uh, program about that. And, um, and then just transportation access, how, how the connectivity, right? Those were the challenges. And when I, when I look at those challenges, like those are all solvable. They are. They're so yeah. solvable. Yep. And, and we have, we, you and I, within the, the folks that we work with every day, we, we know that there's openness. We know that there's a value yep. to what we're doing here. I think it's about intention and investment. And we need to, pri- if we prioritize our music economy and our creative economy the, with the intention and investment that we have gone after other growth categories in indie sports, tech, yeah. right? That the work that you do every day, um, it will it will transform the city, and Absolutely. it will it will lift all of those other investments for sure. So, just um, I'm thinking. Um, I mean, one of the world's greatest schools of music, an hour south yeah. of us. I mean, you start to you, and that's what and we'd encourage people if you just Google indie music strategy, you can find the plan. They're the, the 19 recommendations, very yeah. achievable, very clear roadmap. And, yeah. um, no, but the, but the, the engagement of the arts council, and that's, again, that's a, it's a story of the last three years of really pushing, you know what I mean? Pushing the boundaries of why the organization was created. It's made a huge difference. Well, um, I, I appreciate that. And I think it remains to be seen what the arts council, like, again, our, our role is to advocate for the sector. It's not to advocate for our role. So like uh, the specifics of our involvement will be determined based on what's right yep. for the community, right? It's not, that's not what it's about. I always say in our, our, our team, we always talk about the heroes of our story are the artists and the organizations and the audience members that we exist to serve, right? So I think if we can be helpful to advancing music strategy, the narrative, the cause, the coalition to keep that moving forward. That's, I feel the same way about gang gang and you know, the, and all the artist collectives that are, that are um, just exploding in our city right right. now. And it is good. This, this again, this is going to be, it's going to sound like pat on the back, but so the Indy chamber was voted by our national peers for as 2021 chamber of the year. Yep. The reason that that happened, and I'm convinced of this, is because um, we have tried, we have, and we could always do better, but we tried as much as possible to make the focus of the pandemic the stories of these entrepreneurs that has made it. And I believe that because we have, we put so many stories out there that the aggregate of, so it's almost like if my, if, if in my mind I'd been like, well, you know, we need to put our name on this and make sure everybody right. needs to know we're behind it we would have sub-optimized and we would not have achieved. And I think, I mean, during Indie Keeps Creating, it would, I think there, it moved so fast. I'm sure there were a lot of people um, who, who were kind of observing all that support and might not know that the Arts Council is behind it. But at the end of the day, it's like well, people like me, it doesn't matter. It, it, and it, that's not what it was about. It was about creating 
a, a platform for the entire community to engage. And, and there was, in that moment, it just was right for it to be agnostic of any institution, right? It was, a, it was about a community cause. And that was the spirit and the kind of the love that in which it was just kind of placed out into the community and um, it took off from there. So we're beyond anything we ever imagined, you know? Can can you start to um, forecast in the future a little bit and predict the future? Because I'm seeing, it's interesting. It's like, you know, um, you and I are Gen Xers and um, we're looking at, um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like you just getting inspired every day by, especially, you know, millennials and Gen Z's and everything like that, but I'm seeing, you know, a future of Indianapolis where, um, this, I mean, the next big artist or, or organization could be a scrappy, I mean, who knows if it's a business or a nonprofit, who knows, um, the, the, I feel like these young artists, especially these super creative people, they're, they're much more multidisciplinary, you mm-hmm. know? The hustle is incredible. Now, I have trouble bottling that up into like what that vision of Indianapolis could look like. But as you think about the potential for the Arts Council and who you're serving and things like that, and what 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 do you think about? Well, I think, you know, we talked about it on the Lex trip this year, right? And kind of that, how do you create that culture of innovation, right? And I think it's the same is true. Um, there's a lot of of disruption that came from the pandemic that as again, as hard and awful as much of that was, there is a there is a lot of silver lining here in terms of the good that can come from and how healthy this this disruption is. So I think we're there's also um because there's a lot of this energy, uh, you know, there's a lot of new energy. There's a lot of new relationships that, you know, creatives that we may not have had connections with in the past, you know? So I think we're just trying to be in, in our work and you, you guys, um, balance this at the chamber too. We have a, we have a foot in leading and helping to cast vision and helping to set momentum and we're a service organization. So we're constantly kind of in that tension of of wanting to um, be behind those creatives and to support them and to give voice and to and to use our platforms and and whatever infrastructure we have to to support that and to to find connections and corral it in meaningful ways, not yep. corral it to to um you know, contain or control it in any way, but to find connections because there's a lot happening right now, but it's happening in silos a little bit where I think if we can, if we can just find ways, meaningful ways to bring that together and to connect, that's, I think our role. Yeah. Right. And, and the technology today, I mean, has, I mean, in effect, eliminate, I feel like there are a lot of people with good intent, some with maybe not great intentions, but a lot with really good intentions, holding on to those silos. And you almost want to, and I'm changing too. I'm not, it's yeah. not like I know all the answers, but you almost want to like say, Hey, the future's going to be okay. You know, we're, we're, 
we're going to be a more flatter, a more connected Absolutely. future. And, you, you know, and I you know, mean, I feel like be okay. our job, my job, our job as, as an organization, as an institution with 35 years of, of experience and perspective is to do everything in our power yep. to make sure that those entrepreneurial ventures are successful, yep. that those innovators are successful, that they have the support they need. And um, so that's, and and then I think in terms of the future for the city, I I think going back to our our strengths and kind of the sports strategy, if we can think of ourselves, you know, not necessarily as a, as only a sports city, but as a host city, yeah, and use all of that talent and strength and capacity that we have, and broaden our view a little bit and put that against some creative initiatives, I think there's huge potential in that for, for Indianapolis. When we have, for when we have more time. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before, that this, I love this concept of sports city to host city. And then it's also not by accident that we're known for these state-of-the-art competitions, you know, right. best jazz, uh, high, definitely highest prize money jazz piano competition in the world, top one or two classical piano competition in the world. And uh, violin, top violin, violin competition. competition, bands of America. It's like you don't. You can start. You can start to draw a thread. You know, from sports and host to like where you, you yeah. come here to compete to be the best you can be. I don't know. Yeah. A, no, I I've thought about that too. I mean, I think it's we we are a we're a competitive city, and and I you know um, our friend Matt Carter at at um, Visit Indy loves to talk about like why can't we be the the amateur music capital, yeah. you know, like, and really be that pipeline right. for talent. I think there's so much to that. So yeah. Sweetwater right yeah. up the road and Yamaha yeah. here and yeah, Klipsch, it's great. Um, So um, how can people find out more about uh, Arts Council of Indianapolis and support the organization? Uh, you check us out at IndieArts.org. Um, we actually just introduced a new content hub that is uh, you know, we're trying to do a better job of telling all of these amazing stories of uh, art artists and our arts organizations in the city. So that's explore.indiearts.org. Um, and I mean, we've got, you know, features about what's happening in the community now. We have uh, the Indie Arts Guide, which is uh, kind of your your dynamic calendar of event calendar of all the arts and cultural activities. Um We'd love people to come in and, and uh, join us for Start With Art, which is our annual um, kind of business luncheon, uh, you know, event. Uh, and, and we appreciate all of the community support for that. Um, and, but and I think the most important thing, again, we, we've, we appreciate and value the, the direct support of the Arts Council. But the most important thing you can do is go out and support the arts and cultural organizations and the musicians yep. and artists in our city just experience everything that's happening in our community and try something new. Like do the things you know and love, like get back out there, get off Netflix friends. We like, it's like, we got to rebuild our muscles, right? And, and 10 get times back out. out of 10, yeah. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, <laughs> um, if I've committed to go to see something because a friend is performing or it's a friend's organization or we've been invited. I'll be honest. A third of the time, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and a hundred percent of the time, I'm glad I went. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell how, how many times I've been driving home. Usually it's with Helen. And I'm like, I'm so glad we saw this. Yep. 
it just, I don't know, it just adds something to your life. Yeah, and uh, and, I mean, the reality is, like, use it or lose it. Yeah. Friends, like, it's, Um, we cannot, if the pandemic taught us anything, like, we cannot take for granted that, I mean, this, the next year, as hard as the last two years have been, the next year is, this is really going to be the real test. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, See if I can if 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 I can end on a positive if you agree yeah. with this premise. And one of the differences of Indianapolis, like I, I lived in D.C. for three years after college, and it was great. And I, and I, you know, our friend Michael Kaufman talks about this. And I would go to concerts, but I, and I would consume the you know consume. But it's like in Indianapolis, it's like I can't believe this. Like I know Rob Dixon, one right. of America's best saxophonists. Like he's Absolutely. been on this show. Like we're sitting here in a state-of-the-art recording studio, the likes of which, you know, you'd only see in, in Los Angeles or Nashville, Tennessee. I wouldn't know these people. It would be very much harder for me to know these people, the, the artists themselves yep. in another city. But there's something even about, there's all the challenges we mentioned about Indianapolis that we're trying to change, but there's still like most people are going to take that meeting if Absolutely. you want to see them. And you, you open your doors to every, literally any artist can come get support technical assistance from always. your team. Is that yeah, right? They just always. have to show up, right? Yep. yep. Am, I, am I right about that? I, I mean, think uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, it's been, um, you know, at, at, at events recently, so we've been coming back together, um, to be able to be in these, in these forms and know the artists, be able to go up and, and just have relationships with them, have friendships with them. Um, you know, that's the opportunity that, that, we have here in Indy and, and that's what they, that is fuel for them too. I mean, that's part of why artists are here is because of that, the depth of that experience of that relationship that they have in the city. So I think, um, yeah, there's so, I mean, we're a hundred percent open. So we just welcome everybody to, to come back and, um, and come back together, connect, we're, we're, we're healing together. We're experiencing, processing everything we've been through together. And the arts are a, a big part of that, yeah. a big part of how we're going to move forward. Well, the way you talk about not just, you know, Indianapolis and artists, it, it's clear, you know, in, in, in the Catholic church, the term vocation, you know, comes to mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's clear that like, this is a vocation for you. It's more than a job, Julie, and just your passion, you know, when you're talking about how to help, um, artists and creative people in our city. It's just, it's, it's, it really is infectious. So I'm just, I'm, I'm so grateful uh, to you for spending the last hour or so. Oh, and, it was fun. And, uh, and I hope, and I, I will encourage people um, to uh, support the, uh, the Arts Council of Indianapolis at indiearts.org. Yep. And um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll have more conversations as, you know, these initiatives grow. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully we can come back on and talk about music strategy that we've implemented these great things. I'm, I'm going to hold myself accountable. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, thanks to Roundtable Recording Company uh, in Broad Ripple here in Indianapolis. And uh, Julie, thank you again. Thanks, Michael. Wow.